Happy Easter. Welcome to Crossroads. And I invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to John chapter 11. And we're concluding our series this morning on the red letters. As you know, in a lot of Bibles, uh, Jesus's words are written in red ink in the New Testament. And so we've been going through these I am statements in the season leading up to Easter. And we're going to conclude with one final uh, I am statement this morning. Well, in our home, we have a almost 18-year-old. Uh, it's hard to believe, he's a high school senior, and I just want to take a moment to say if you have a high school senior in your home, I know it's a difficult season, difficult time. Uh, we're praying for you guys. We're praying for our seniors, and we know that God has good things in store for you despite what's going on and uh, the pause that's pressed on, on your grad. But uh, we have an 18-year-old, or soon-to-be 18-year-old in our home back a number of years ago. Uh, uh, Gabe was three, and we took a family vacation to visit my brother and his family. They were living in Las Vegas, Nevada at the time. He was a pastor uh, at a church there, and we decided that we needed to get out of uh, uh, the place where we were living, which was up in Illinois, and uh, we needed a, uh, a vacation in a warm place. So we went to visit them. And uh, I remember this one day, uh, they had a pool in the backyard and Gabe and all of his cousins were in the backyard swimming. Dana and my sister-in-law were back there and, and my brother and I were in the house. And uh, it, just out of nowhere, all of a sudden I heard Dana scream for help. And, and, and uh, what had actually happened was Gabe and, and his cousins were playing out around the pool and there was a step just down from where the, the spa was and down onto the pool deck and Gabe had had missed the step and he fell down and he he busted his lip on the pool deck and there was a lot of blood and it was it was uh, bleeding quite profusely and Dana was calling to me and said Darren we got to get Gabe to the hospital right now well could you imagine what I did I what I can tell you I didn't do was I didn't sit there and make another cup of coffee I didn't, uh, you know, pull out my phone and, and make a couple phone calls, you know, those uh, things I just needed to do. Uh, I didn't delay at all. When Dana called, I went running. Well, in John chapter 11, we have a story of Lazarus, a friend of Jesus, and his two sisters. And in that story, we, we hear that Lazarus is sick. He, is, he isn't just sick, he is deathly ill. And they send word to Jesus. Jesus was about 30 miles away and they send a messenger to Jesus to tell him that his best friend Lazarus is sick. And I think the, the account will surprise you when we read it. In verse six, this is what it says. When Jesus heard that his friend Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Are you familiar with that story? Here, Jesus' best friend is sick. And they send word to Jesus for help. And what does he do? He hangs around for two more days. Now, I can tell you with assurance that, that I, am, I am not better than, than Jesus. So what was going on? You know, Dana called me, I went running. Here, Jesus' friends call him and he waits for two days. What's going on here? Well, I have to tell you that Jesus, when he heard that this was going on, he responded with some words. And they might be a little confusing. They might be words that you've used from time to time. But this is what he said. 
that this has taken place so that the Son of God would receive glory from this. Have you ever heard those words before? Maybe you've used those words before. And I have to tell you, just point blank, that I'm really not a fan of those words. I, I, I call that an easy answer in Christian circles, particularly when tough things happen, when there are difficulties when there are bad situations, especially when there's things that we really can't explain why, we, we kind of just land on that, that phrase, oh, it, this, will, this is happening so that God would receive the glory. It's an easy answer, isn't it? It's, it's kind of like pointing at God and kind of blaming him and just leaving it with him and seeing what he'll do. And I have to say that, that this has to be one of the most misused lines in Scripture. You see, because to me, it's, it's never helpful, especially in the context that we tend to use it. It, it tends to come across as pithy. It, it tends to come across as oversimplistic. Back, I remember when Dana and I were going through a real difficult, dark time in our lives with, uh, with uh, trying to have a family and going through miscarriages. And, and often we'd hear that line, oh, this is, this is happening. We don't understand why, but we know that God's going to receive the glory from this. Even in this pandemic, I'm sure you've heard that before. Even the last few weeks, oh, this is, you know, God's got a plan and he's going to receive glory. It's a, it's a true statement, yes, but is it helpful? No. You lose your job. Your finances are in ruin. Your business is teetering on the brink of bankruptcy. Your hopes and dreams are lost. You have fears that you can't express and you hear those words, this is so that God will receive the glory. In some way, we get this picture that, that, that when this is said, it's almost like God is, is allowing this to happen so that he can, can somehow just arrive on the scene at just the last minute and save the day and, and get all the accolades and get the front page news and the pat on the back, almost like Superman coming to save the day. Well, let me just say no. Let me just tell you that God doesn't need your grief in order to be praised. God doesn't need your life to fall apart. He doesn't need someone to get sick or someone to die. God doesn't need some virus to take place and, and to turn your life and this world upside down in order to get the accolades or the pat on the back. He doesn't need broken relationships. He doesn't need messed up finances or emotional breakdown to receive glory. Let me tell you that all of those things are the work of Satan himself, the work of the devil in a sinful world. Importantly, it's up to us to interpret this correctly. You see, Jesus here in the story with Lazarus, he isn't declaring that he was going to arrive and just kind of swoop in at the last minute and save the day. No, that's not what he was saying. What was going on? You ever wondered that? Well, Jesus eventually shows up, and Scripture tells us that it was four days. He, he, he waited for two days. You see, it took one day for a messenger to get to him. He waited two days, and then it took him a day to get to his friend Lazarus. Scripture says it was four days. And in that time, we're told that Lazarus died. He was dead. 
You know, four days is significant. Some theologians tell us that it was significant because in the Jewish culture, the the belief that after three days was when the soul left the body. So four days, Lazarus was dead. He was dead. He was deader than dead. And yet as Jesus comes onto the scene and, and it comes face to face with Lazarus' sister Martha and she's upset. She's, she's upset at Jesus. Why weren't you here sooner? Jesus looks at her and he says this. He says, Lazarus will live. Lazarus will rise. And it's kind of interesting, Martha's response. She kind of just passively says, oh, I, I know that. Yes, he's going to rise at the resurrection. Yes, I understand he will rise. And Jesus tells her, no, 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 you're missing the boat here. You're missing the point. And you see, it's easy for us to miss it too. And, and what Martha was really saying was, Jesus, I don't believe you're the Messiah. Because she was saying, I believe the resurrection is going to happen. It's going to happen down the road when the Messiah comes. So the conclusion that we can appropriately make here is that she was saying, Jesus, you're not the Messiah. Look at John 20, 25. Or sorry, John 11, 25. Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. You see, Jesus was talking about this glory that he would receive. And it wasn't going to come from the raising of Lazarus from the dead. It wasn't going to be this pat on the back for his ratings approval because he came to save the day. No, in fact, the glory that he was talking about in this raising Lazarus from the dead was in fact a proclamation of his own death and that he would rise from the dead and expedite that move from that point to the cross. You see, this situation could have played out differently. Jesus could have showed up in time and healed his friend and had a party and and they could have all celebrated together, but that didn't happen. You see, in this, Jesus took the opportunity to pronounce his own death, to pronounce to everyone around that he was the Messiah. And through his resurrection all might live. And just weeks after this, as Jesus' body hung lifeless on a cross, each person was reminded of these words and they were filled with hope and faith and assurance. That's what happened. I want you to turn ahead a number of chapters to John chapter 20. And in John chapter 20, this is the account after Jesus had been put to death. And after he'd been buried, this is the account of resurrection day. Verse one of John chapter 20. John writes, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said, they have taken the the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, 
as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside, and he saw and believed. Here we have the account of the empty tomb, the angels proclaiming in that moment, he is not here, he is risen. This is the account of Jesus' resurrection. And we have this account in all four of the gospel writers' uh, writings. John's version, though, I find is one of the more interesting ones. It's one of the more profound ones because it says so much and it speaks so much of the emptiness and void within the human soul. See, we can all have that same reaction. I don't know if you've noticed what was really going on in John's account of the resurrection. And in fact, it speaks loudly and it speaks volumes of a need for a savior, our need for significance, our need for, for this recognition and, and identity. You see, in, in, in John's account, he says, hey, there was Peter and there was this other disciple. And in fact, it was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Well, and if you know about Jesus and his disciples, Jesus called John the writer, the one whom Jesus loved. He was his favorite. And John makes a point here and reminds the readers that he was Jesus' favorite. He was the one that Jesus loved. He goes on to talk about these disciples, Peter and this other disciple running to the, the tomb. And what does he say? Well, the other disciple, speaking of himself, arrived first. He wanted everyone to know that he was the faster runner, that he could outrun Peter, and that he, in fact, was the better of the two. When they got there, you'll notice that, that Peter, he says, went just bursting on in, even though John himself had arrived first and with reverence stood at the edge of the tomb. But Peter just burst on through. It's almost like kids in grade school, you know, seeking the approval or seeking the, the recognition of their teacher and telling the stories, oh, I got a hamster. And then all of a sudden, the other kid down couple of desks says, well, I have two hamsters. Another kid says, well, I have a dog. And another kid says, well, I have four dogs. Kid in the back row lifts his hand and says, you know what? I have a dog that does my math homework. And it's just this one upping one another. And this is kind of what's going on. This one upmanship sadly was even back in the disciples. And it was all an exposure of their humanity. It was an all exposure, an exposure of their need for a savior. It's all about sin. And that's exactly why Jesus died. You see, Romans 3 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not just us. It was even the disciples. They needed a savior. You know, in Romans 5, it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is why Jesus came. The brokenness, the lostness, the lifeless state that we live in. And even those in the inner circle of Jesus and his disciples, they needed it too. You see, it took a sacrifice. It took the ultimate price to be paid. It took Jesus going to the cross, being crucified on a Roman cross, the most brutal and hideous form of torture and of execution. 
And Jesus suffered that intense pain and he died at the hands of his accusers. He endured the scoffing. He endured the cursing, the weight of sin. The punishment that we deserved was placed on him. Jesus died. He was buried. And then just as it was foretold by the prophets of Old Testament, And it was foretold by Christ himself. He rose and he secured our freedom with the ultimate payment of the price for our sins. You see, in 2 Corinthians, Paul reminded the church. He said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. There was an exchange that took place on the cross. God laid our sin upon His Son, the full weight of your sin and my sin, on Jesus, on the cross, so that we would be righteous before Him. And it all comes down to our choice. You see, God gives us the opportunity to receive that gift. Or not. In John 3, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. He gave his Son as a gift. He goes on to say that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He goes on to say, God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world, to save you and me through him. Through Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection on the cross. You see, this is what it is all about. Jesus Christ paying the price, going to the cross for your sins and for mine. Jesus looked at his friend, Martha, and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. And I believe that Jesus wants to look you in the eye this morning and say the exact same thing. I am the resurrection and the life. I am your resurrection and life. I'm the one who paid the price for your sins so that you did not have to die. But you would live in me and through me. It's an opportunity for you to receive. Will you? Will you receive the gift that God has provided for you to live? The payment of of the price for your sins on the cross so that you would live. I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm inviting Pastor Barry and the worship team to come up and join me. It's your decision. You see, Jesus secured our freedom on the cross. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God made him who was without sin to be sin for us, to be sin for you and for me, so that you and I would become the righteousness of God. And just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, my question to you this morning is, will you receive God's gift of salvation for you? Will you accept His payment on your behalf for your sin? And by doing so, walk in freedom, 
Walk in holiness and righteousness as a child of God. I'd like to invite you to pray with me a simple prayer that simply says, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for those things that I've done. I'm sorry for the sin that I've committed. And I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, sent from heaven on my behalf. I thank you for the price that he paid. And I receive that gift right now in the name of Jesus. I receive that gift. I receive the freedom that comes with it. Acknowledge Jesus as the leader and the forgiver of my life. And I choose to follow him and honor him with my life from this moment forward. And Lord Jesus, you've heard those prayers this morning. What a great day to surrender our lives to you. Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. You are the resurrection and the life. And Lord, by believing and following you, we live. We live. We experience life, life to the fullest. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. And it's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen.